Welcome to episode number 196 of the Pioneering Today podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about getting things ready on the homestead for the winter months. This is a question that has come up in a couple of different places this last week. And I feel like whenever I hear people asking the same question, then it's definitely something that we need to talk about here on the podcast. Because if a few of you have that question, then I know the rest of you guys probably do as well. Let me welcome you first to the Pioneering Today podcast. My name is Melissa K. Norris, and this is where we talk about all things living, homegrown, and handmade, where we use modern homesteading to raise, preserve, and cook our own organic food, no matter where we live. At the time of this recording, we just got back from our week-long yearly family vacation. We went with extended family, and we shared and rented a houseboat on a lake for five days, which was really fun. We pretty much had great weather up until the very last day when we were coming in. It began thunder and lightning, which makes it really easy to come home from vacation if you are out on a lake on a boat and it is pouring down rain and there's thunder and lightning. But the reason that I share that with you is because I had a conversation there with one of my family members about how you get prepared, what things you should have in store for winter and for storms coming through. We were talking about snowstorms last year and how the shelves, people just went into panic mode and completely cleared out grocery store shelves in hours. And then in the private members group of the Pioneering Today Academy, so members who are part of that academy, we have a private group. It came up a couple times there as well. So I thought this was the perfect time to begin talking about this and giving you some of my tips and kind of a checklist on things. You can see where you're at on making sure that you are prepared and that you are getting ready for the winter season. And honestly, though, these tips aren't just for winter, though that's typically when most people or areas of the country experience more power outages is in winter because we have snow and usually greater wind and rainstorms. But of course, if you live where there's hurricanes and you experience that, not just in winter time, but you're going to be experiencing that in the fall when a lot of hurricanes are coming through. And that kind of sparked the discussion as well. But one of the things that I want to address first is when people are talking about being prepared, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times there's kind of like a fear around it. We have another group that's open to anybody. So if you're listening to this, we have a Facebook group that's called Homestead and Old Fashioned Pioneer Living. I will have a link in today's show notes, which you can access at melissaknorris.com forward slash 196, because this is episode number 196. And you can request to be a part of this group. Just make sure that you answer the questions so that you get approved. And in this group, people were talking about not necessarily just being prepared for winter, but if anybody thought that there would be a recession or a depression coming to the United States, which of course is a whole nother conversation that we can save to maybe have later or maybe not. But it all comes down to having certain things in place and in store in your home or your homestead so that when something comes up, you are prepared. But the greatest distinction that I see between what I would consider someone being a modern homesteader or someone who's more of a prepper survivalist, they definitely can have things that cross over. But I think as a homesteader, it's just a natural way of living, of becoming self-sufficient 
and working towards that goal, increasing over time so that it's just a natural way of life. You're not really preparing or being fearful or getting ready for some big catastrophe, and that's not your focus. Now, not to say that all people who consider themselves a prepper or survivalist have that mindset, but I tend to see it a little bit more uh, with people who identify with that, at least in my own experience, that it comes from more of a fear-based. And you guys, life is too short to live in fear. And we don't know what's coming. You know, none of us can see the future. We can all make our own predictions and look at things and make our own assessments, but we really don't know what's coming. And I, for one, do not want to live my life where I am always thinking of some great thing that's going to happen that's going to be horribly wrong or that's going to be a really bad thing for a lot of people and living my life with that kind of hanging over as a shadow. I would much rather implement things in my regular everyday life that's going to serve us no matter what happens. And then if something bad happens, then we are prepared. But hopefully that bad thing doesn't happen and we still get to reap the benefits of living this lifestyle regardless. So I just kind of wanted to touch base on that and to talk about that for a moment. But some of the things that we do and that you can do as well to make sure that we're ready for the winter months and really all of the months, but specifically the time of this recording we're moving into there is one of the things that we do is we do have a generator so that when the power does go out, we can run our freezers. So even though I do a ton of canning, I do fermenting, I do dehydrating, I use root cellar techniques, even though we don't have a root cellar, a basement, or even a garage, but just in our house, you can still use some root cellar techniques for quite a few foods, even though we do all of that so that quite a bit of our food is completely shelf-stable without electricity, we do still use freezers and a refrigerator. I actually have two freezers. We have one chest freezer that's out in our pump house, and then we have one upright freezer that's in the laundry room of our regular house. And the one that's out in the pump house is where we keep all of the beef and our pork. So we raise all of our own meat. And when you are butchering and you're getting a whole hog and a whole cow or even a half cow, quarter cow, whatever, that is a whole lot of meat at once. And I need a big area to keep it in. And we also keep our fish. We have salmon. And then we also go crabbing and are just a little, we have a little 17 foot 20 plus year old ski boat that we go out into the bay and we catch enough crab to take us through a whole year. And you can technically can crab. You can can all those meats that I'm referencing. And we do can up quite a bit of the salmon. We smoke it and then we can that. And you can can crab, but we usually just prefer to freeze that and then use that later. But that's what's held in the big chest deep freezer, which I feel that you can get more in a chest freezer. My husband cut up some different plywood and made some different dividers in there so that we can keep everything really well organized and practice good rotation. But I personally feel you can get a lot more meat in a chest freezer than you can an upright freezer. But then in the house, we have an upright freezer. And that's where I keep the chickens that we've raised and butchered. My laying hens are not in the house in the freezer. They're out in the coop. But we also raise meat chickens and butcher themselves out here on the homestead. So all of the whole chickens, those go in the freezer in the house. If I am freezing berries, then that's where those go. The majority of my fruit does get canned or dehydrated, but I do keep some in the freezer, especially during the summer months right now. I will put the berries and the fruit in there that I can't get to 
right now. And then during the fall and winter months, I can can those up. So that's where I typically put any overflow of produce that I'm not canning. That goes into the house freezer that's inside along with the chicken. And then if we pick up anything from the store that needs to be frozen, I don't usually grow a bunch of shell peas. So occasionally I'll buy some frozen peas that will go in there, things like that. And then that's also where I keep when I do up bread. So I'll bake up a whole bunch of bread. I do the same thing with my biscuit dough and I will freeze that. So then when I need it in a hurry, I've got it. So I kind of use that house freezer, that upright one in a little bit different method than I do our outside one. But regardless, that means I have two freezers that I need to use with a generator if the power is out for more than 24 hours. And here where we live, I'm up in the foothills of Western Washington in the Pacific Northwest. And we're really small. We're extremely rural. And so when the power goes out, once it goes out, we are really lucky. Usually it's like 12 hours before it'll come back on. And that's only if something happened where it just went out and the rest of the county and neighboring towns still have power. Usually it's 24 hours. And then if there's any type of storm, like there's windstorms or snowstorms or even big rainstorms like that, then we're last resort and we're looking at like two to three days over Christmas. And this past year, it was five days we didn't have power in a row. The longest we've went was almost two weeks. We were just shy of two weeks without power. And that was when there was a big mudslide that came through and it was too unstable for them to be able to go in and work on it. So we didn't have power and we actually couldn't use the main highway either. So we learned that you definitely need to have a generator if you don't want to lose everything that is in those deep freezers. So if it's just out for 12 or 24 hours, as long as you do not open the door to those deep freezers, they will usually hold the food for that long without it being completely thawed out and ruined. But if it's going longer than 12 hours without power, we will power up our generator and we rotate plugging them in just to make sure that they stay completely frozen. Now, when it's wintertime and it's really cold out, that big chest freezer that I said is outside in our pump house, which that's not heated, then I don't have to worry about it because if there's snow on the ground, then it's not going to freeze out. It's going to be totally fine out there. But the one in the house, we will rotate that with the fridge with our generator. And I'm very excited to say that we finally got a generator that is going to be big enough to power our pump, which means I will finally have running water when we don't have power. And if you cannot tell, I'm super excited about it. Oh my goodness, you guys. I'll still keep an emergency backup supply of water just because you obviously need fuel to run your generator. And this was the point that I was getting to before I ended up telling you this whole long story about all of our freezers and what we store in them and our power outages. But you definitely want to have fuel to run your generator. Now, obviously, you can get ready for winter. You don't have to have a generator. But if you're in an area that experiences power outages on a frequent basis, having that generator is really, really nice in order for us. We mainly use it for the fridge and freezer so that we don't use that food. We don't usually use it for lights. Sometimes we will use it. I'll be totally honest. We will use it so that we can get coffee really fast. We do have a wood stove. So as long as it's cold enough, then I can have heat going in the house, obviously from the wood stove. And I'll use that to cook and to boil water and stuff. But sometimes in the summertime, we will still lose power. And obviously I'm not building in the middle of summer fire in my house and my wood stove in order to heat up water. And depending upon if we're on burn ban or not, if I can actually build a fire outside. Now we've got some different ways that I can heat water. We've got a sun oven provided the sun is out. We can use charcoal. We've got some different things like that we can use. But having that generator does come in handy as a backup thing. So obviously having some fuel on hand so that you can run it is a big deal. And we touched on this, but I said making sure that you have water 
is really big deal. So some people, if you're on city hookup or depending on what your water is like, your water will run without power. So that's awesome. If it doesn't, having backup water is really important. So you can can water if you're a canner. You can can water and have that sitting on the shelf in jars. Obviously, you can buy backup bottled water. There's lots of different things you could do. People will use, if you want it for drinking water, of course, you need to make sure if you're using like a rain barrel or something like that, that you've got sanitation set up and the water is good and safe for drinking. I will keep on hand just some of those extra gallons of water just in the bottom of the pantry, just on the floor to have on hand. Now, of course, we need to be tacking heat as we look into the winter months. And I will link, I have got a past episode that we talk about ways to keep warm without electricity. So I will make sure and link to some of these different resources rather than trying to repeat and go through them all here in the show notes, which again is at melissaknorris.com forward slash 196. So this is the time of year we're looking at our wood. We've had any trees that have fallen down on our property are dried out, they're seasoned. You definitely don't want green firewood when you're looking for heat and burning. So for us, because that's what we use to primarily heat our home is our wood stove. We always are making sure that we've got the wood fully dried, fully seasoned, chopped and stacked into the woodshed. So actually yesterday, my husband and my son, that's what they spent a good portion of the day doing while I was in the house canning up a lot of the garden produce. So some type of heat source and a way that you can keep warm if you don't have electricity is really key and making sure that you've got everything you need for that to run efficiently. So if it requires fuel. Of course, you're going to need food, especially if it's for a prolonged period of time. Now, for us, this is probably the area that I have the least amount of work to do to prep because it's always something that we're doing. One of the main things that we practice here in our homestead has been growing and raising and then preserving that food enough to take us through a full year. As I said, we raise all of our own meat, so we're very self-sufficient in that regards. And then with our fruits and vegetables that we grow here on the homestead, I guesstimate about 55 to 60% of our produce we grow here on the homestead. So that means obviously we can eat fresh of it this time of year, but I am definitely preserving and putting that up for those off months. But that still leaves stuff that we have to purchase from the store or order online, depending on what it is. We're not able to grow ourselves. So I keep basically a backup grocery store at our house in, we have our laundry room area and it was actually kind of like a coat cleaning closet and we turned that into a pantry, a backup pantry. That's where I store the overflow of all my canned goods, things that we're canning ourselves, things that we're buying from the store that I have in bulk and I actually have a video on that. We have a YouTube channel. So if you want to check that out, I've actually take you on a pantry tour so you can visually see what that looks like. And we live in a manufactured home. So I don't have a lot of extra space. I don't live in like a huge old farmhouse that has all this stuff built into it. So we got creative in creating some of our different food storage and pantry areas in the house. So you get to see how we've turned in some different closets and some different areas of the kitchen into our food storage. So you can go and check that out. I'll have the link in the show notes. You can just go to my YouTube channel, which is just Melissa K. Norris, and you can see that pantry tour. But for things like salt, so I buy salt in a 10-pound bucket. I've got my wheat berries. So you might not have wheat berries, but things, flour, it might be gluten-free flour, it might be regular flour, 
sweeteners. So honey, sugar, maple syrup, things that I'm not producing here on our homestead, but I use in my regular baking and cooking. Things like baking powder, baking soda. I do sourdough so I don't have to have yeast, but I do have some yeast for just some quick breads and different things like that where I'm not necessarily using my sourdough for. Any type of spices that I don't grow here or can't grow here. So things like cumin, ginger, nutmeg, cinnamon, those different spices. I keep backups of those. Definitely cocoa powder and chocolate chips. Those are a must. Coconut oil, olive oil, avocado oil. Those are pretty much the main oils. We raise our own cattle and our pigs. So I've got tallow and lard. So I don't have to worry about getting that from the store and butter. So if you don't have a backup area already creative of your food storage like I do, what I do is I keep the normal amount that you would be using and cooking from. So I've got my canisters in the cupboard of my flour and my sugar, and I've got a big, large mason jar that has cocoa powder in it. And then I've when that starts to get empty, I've got a backup one in the back pantry that I just go to and I pull that out and I refill that canister. And as soon as that happens that I'm using my backup one, that goes on the list for me to replace. A lot of the things I've bought it in such a bulk quantity that you know I will have like, if I get to about a half or a quarter of it left in that back pantry, then that's when I go ahead and repurchase it so that I don't actually ever run out even of my back stock. And so I keep just this perpetuating and of course using rotation, right? I don't want to keep it in in the stock so long that it goes bad or anything like that. But that's kind of how I I go. And one of the advantages to living really far out is by necessity, I've learned and been forced to do that because there were too many times when I was a newlywed and just beginning to cook and run my own household that I would want to make something and realize that I didn't have that ingredient or I didn't have enough of it to actually make whatever it was that I wanted to. And because when you live this far out, we do have a smaller grocery store that's about 12 miles away from us, but they don't carry everything. So to get to a store that has everything, I'm looking at about an hour drive. So I learned to keep a backup of pretty much everything so that I could cook as I wanted to. And then as we looked at being more self-sufficient, then we just kind of up the amounts that we were keeping on hand. So if you don't have that, I would begin to look at things I should put in there. Rice, we grow our own beans, so I don't usually have purchased from the store. That's something that we've produced here on our homestead, dried beans. But things like rice, cornmeal, I don't grow our own cornmeal, that type of thing, popping corn. Oh my goodness, we have to have popcorn, right? Those are the type of things that I buy in bulk and that I make sure that we're stocked up on. And I don't just do it going into winter. It's a year-round thing, but definitely something if you don't have that on hand to think about this time of year. That might feel a little bit overwhelming and you're like, oh, I don't have enough money to just go out and buy doubles or triples of everything that we use. I totally get that. So my advice, and this is how we started, is looking at when you're going to purchase that item, can you purchase two of it? And then that way, as you begin to rent out of things, you're buying the backup and that way you're not doing everything at once. So if you were going to buy coconut oil, could you just buy two of those coconut oils instead? So that's one way to go about it. Another way that you can do it is to obviously prioritize and look at the thing that you use the most of in your everyday cooking and then start to build a backup of those that item specifically. And after you get one of that, 
So maybe it's flour. I talk about the staples because we can use flour to make so many different things, right? And that's usually the case for most people. So you're using it to do your bread as a thickener, pie crust, cookies, biscuits, tortillas, all the things. So I would start there and I would do a backup of my flour until I had a good supply of flour. Then once I had that in place, then maybe it's your sweetener. So maybe you would be looking at sugar. Maybe that would be your salt, that type of thing. So really look at the items that you're cooking with a lot and start with building up a backup of those items. Of course, I highly recommend growing and preserving as much of your own food as possible to avoid having to buy that from the store. And then that just becomes a natural cycle and thing that you're doing throughout the year. And even if you're not able to grow it right now in fall, you can still do quite a bit of canning depending on where you live. There's still a lot of produce going on that you can get from farmers markets. You can go and do you picks or that you can buy in bulk and then preserve up to take you through the rest of the year. And I have a free canning video series. It's specifically on pressure canning, but we talk about canning safety all the way around. And then I walk you through pressure canning foods, which I love pressure canning because honestly, you guys, when you are raw packing your vegetables and your meat, which is the way that I pressure can the majority of my vegetables and my meats, it's so much faster than water bath. So if you've done water bath canning where you are doing jam and jelly and syrup and pickles and salsa and all those things, those actually take quite a bit of prep work and are more time consuming, honestly, than if you are just pressure canning your vegetables and your meat, which you have to do if it's a non-pickled vegetable. So pickled vegetables, we can water bath, but any other type of vegetable and meat, soup, broth, all those have to be pressure canned in order to be safe, which I walk you through safety. Safety is my number one thing, as well as operating the pressure canner, because a lot of people are intimidated by that. But I highly recommend that you go and sign up for that series. It's not too late in the year and get yourself preserving these foods so that they are shelf stable and ready to go for you and your family. Not only in the instance of some type of emergency, but when life is busy, which hello, coming into the holidays. I know, I know it's September and I mentioned the holidays, but really it's not that far away. When you have this stuff on this shelf ready to go, like your pie filling, apple pie filling, I did a blackberry, I've got cherry pie filling. When it comes time to the holidays and things are busy, all I have to do is go and open a couple of jars and just dump it into my pie shell or put like a crumble topping on it. And I've got all of this homemade from scratch food ready to go within just minutes. I'm not having to do as much work. So I really like it for that aspect of life because we're always busy, right? And so I can make up a quick supper or dessert, whatever I need to do from our home canned food. So anyways, you could go, again, that link will be in the show notes. Sorry, I got all kinds of excited talking about my canned food because I do love it. But you can access that canning video series at melissacanorris.com forward slash pressure canning. Okay, a few other things. And again, we're talking about this going into fall, but this is really true for any time of year. So if you're on any type of medication that you can't just stop, and a lot of medications that you're on, talking as a pharmacy technician here, you can't just stop cold turkey. You really don't want to. It'll do things to your body. And of course, our goal is to improve our health as much as possible to not have to take medications. But that can be a hard thing to do. So if you're on medication, for example, I am on Armour Thyroid, so my thyroid doesn't function properly. So I take thyroid medication. Armour Thyroid is a natural form of thyroid hormone, but it's still a prescription medication that I have to take. So 
depending on your insurance company, most insurances will let you fill it about five to seven days before it's due. Now they do keep track. So don't take this tip as a way to abuse this and to, you know, have this huge stockpile. But you can go in and you can request a refill about seven days before your prescription is due. And so I always make sure that I do that. So I've got a buffer of at least a couple weeks worth of my thyroid medication so that if something does happen, then I've got at least a couple of weeks worth of it on hand at all times, just as a safety backup. And of course, you want to rotate it, right? So if you have a backup of something like that, don't just stick it in the back of the cupboard and have it there for years on end. Make sure that you're rotating that out. It's as much important with that as it is with our food storage. Now, if you've got livestock, you need to make sure that you've got them covered as well. So having plenty of animal feed on hand, and as we move into the winter months, which I'm going to be talking in an upcoming episode, we're going to dive into more on livestock and if you're raising your own food um, and what that looks like. But as a general statement, when you're moving into the winter months, your livestock needs more food because they're burning more calories in order to keep warm. So their food and their water is something that you're going to need to make sure you've got on hand as well, especially if you can't travel, you can't get to the store, or it's not on the store shelves for whatever reason. So I always try and make sure that I've got same thing with the chickens. Now with our cattle, they have hay. So during most of the summer, late spring and early fall, I'm not feeding hay, they're just on pasture. So that's great. But we do have to make sure that we have enough hay for them, which is a whole nother episode and we'll talk about that. <laughs> Especially if you're not doing your own hay, if you're having to purchase hay. And we don't grain feed our livestock. Now my chickens, I do supplement with feed from the store but I do also use a lot of my garden produce. But then as we move into winter months, when I don't really have a whole lot going on in the garden, I'm not able to supplement with them. So I need to make sure that I've got enough feed. And I buy ours in bulk from a local, it's about an hour and 10 minutes away from me, but it's pretty local from where I live. It's a local granary and they make it up fresh. And so I can go down there. Usually they just have it on hand, but I can call in and go and get it. But I make sure that I've got at least a couple of bags backed up of those 50-pound bags of chicken feed ready to go. Now, another thing we're going to be talking about is light. If you have ever been without power for an extended period of time, let me tell you, candles ain't going to cut it, at least not in our house. They don't provide a lot of light. And even though my kids are getting older, my daughter's 10 and my son's 14, I still am not really comfortable with them having candles in their room or walking with candles. It's a fire issue, right? So one of the things that we do is we have headlamps for everybody, everyone. So those are on like a elastic type thing. They fit around and the light goes on your forehead and then you turn it on. It's like a flashlight, but it goes on your forehead. So your hands free. Those things work fabulous. So we try to have each kid has one in their bedroom. My husband and I have a couple. We use them in the wintertime when we're out feeding and dealing with the livestock or bringing in extra firewood. Whatever. They are just so handy to have because like I said, your hands are free and then the light is coming right above your eyes. So they work really well. So we try to make sure everybody has those. And then we also do have some of those battery powered lanterns. But of course, the headlamps and those battery powered lanterns require batteries. So one, make sure you got backup batteries. But the other thing that we do, and I do use candles some. So I do have some candles that I'll light 
but I don't want people walking through and I don't want them in their bedrooms. Um, but I will use some of the candles in the living room. But really, in order to have enough light to actually see to read so that you're not straining your eyes or to play games or to do anything once the sun goes down, which when we're talking in the winter months can happen pretty early in the day, is old-fashioned oil lamps. I have an oil lamp that just sits on our counter as part of my decor. It helps when you're homestead farmhouse type Love that type of decor. It fits in very naturally. And then I always keep oil in that lamp so that it's ready to go at any time and that I have enough wick. But then I also keep a backup jug of that oil lamp in the pantry. So I have that in our back closet. That way, if I wasn't cognizant and didn't realize that my backup jug was starting to run low, then I fill, and that's why I always leave the one on the counter filled. So that I've always got at least enough oil in it because it's filled at all times. So as soon as it gets low, I go ahead and fill that up. Then at least I've got one full lamp all the way full of the oil. So if I go to the back and realize, oh man, I don't really have a whole lot of this left. I've got that oil lamp in the front that's still full and time for me to get some more. At least that's in theory. And so anytime, like I said, that back stock, same thing with the oil lamp as I do with our food. When the backstock part of it gets about a quarter to a half, I go ahead and I just pick up another thing. So I've always got that backup oil on hand because sometimes we'll have a storm come through and we've got like maybe eight hours or so. They just start announcing it and I'm not planning on going to town or I can't get down there, that type of thing. And it affects our whole county. Our power will go out and I'm like, I'm not going to probably have power for five days. So I always like to make sure that I've got enough of the oil lamp there so that I can have enough light to do everything by in the house. I hope you found these tips helpful. And now we're going to move into our verse of the week. This is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 18. And this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints, his set apart ones. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, my family and I were on vacation. And the interesting thing about when we went on vacation, it was to an area of the state we'd never been to. It was Lake Roosevelt which is in the northeastern part of Washington state. And we had very, very limited cell phone coverage. I could text most of the time, but I really couldn't get out in any other way or form. Obviously, no computer, no internet that way, which is good when you're on vacation, right? We shouldn't be worried about having to have internet access. And I definitely should not be working, which is something that when you're doing podcast things like this and YouTube and I've got the academy and the website and all of those things. A lot of my day, especially my work day, revolves around using that social media and using internet to get things uploaded and published and to communicate with people inside my e-courses and membership and just all that stuff. So while I was there, I could get a few emails. So I did have somebody that was checking in on the emails and was, you know, kind of if there was like an emergency type thing that somebody needed help with that they could try and help them and to keep up on that because I do get a lot of emails, which I love. I love it when you guys email me. I love being able to communicate and have relationships with you and to help people when they have questions. 
But when you're not able to be there to answer them, it can really start to back up, especially when we were gone for five days. So I was able to access email a couple of times and I got an email and I don't want to go into too much detail because that's not really the important part. But the email really threw me for a loop. And there were things in the email that I needed to be at a computer in order to be able to address and to fix. And I tried and I tried and I tried to access it from my phone. And there simply was not enough cell service there. I couldn't access the things that I needed to access to get to change. And that hit me about the middle of beginning middle of our vacation. And I'm a fixer, you guys. So if there's a problem that arises, sometimes we'll, depending on what the problem is, we'll, you know, be a little upset or panic mode or whatever. But I almost immediately just boom, I go to, okay, how can we fix this? How can we improve things? What can we do? That's just my my personality and the way that I roll. So I immediately jump to, let's get this baby fixed. Well, I couldn't do that. And it really affected me not being able to get that fixed. And I'm used to being very busy, which I know all of us are, right? I'm not just saying I'm like busier than anybody else. I don't mean that. We're all used to being really busy. And so I had this time on my hands, which I sound like I'm complaining. I'm really not. I promise. But it was a really weird time for me mentally because I'm used to doing things all the time. I'm working on doing things. And I had something that actually needed to be done that needed to be fixed. And I couldn't do it. And I couldn't do it for days. And I didn't have other things to occupy my hands and my mind like I normally do. And so I actually kind of struggled through part of the vacation because of that. But the reason I'm sharing that with you as I share about the verse of the week is because I realized that God let that come through at that time because I really needed to turn things over to him and remember that he is the one who's ultimately in control. He is the one that gives us everything. I mean, all of our good things in life, they come from him. Whether or not we want to recognize it or we want to give him that acknowledgement, all of the good things in my life he has given me. And so by letting that come during that time, it made me step back and just rely on him. I'm talking pour your heart out, tears coming down the face, reconnecting with God and acknowledging that everything is already his that I have and being willing to give it all back to him and just saying, I want you to use me where you want me. And in whatever capacity, Lord, I'm willing to do what you want me to do and where you want me to go, even if it's not where I would pick for myself. So no matter what you might be wrestling with or dealing with or whatever state that you're in, I pray for you and I pray for myself that he will grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into the mysteries and secrets of his knowledge, of knowledge of him, that he would take us deeper in our understanding of him and how he works in our lives, and that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with light, and that we would know and understand the hope to which he has called us. You guys, there is so much hopelessness out there. We see it almost everywhere we look on the news and in social media and people walking around without hope. And that is a horrible place to be in the dark and without hope and with fear and without anxiety. It's horrible. 
So my prayer is that the the eyes of our hearts are flooded with light and that we know and understand the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you so much for joining me with today's episode. This one was a little bit longer, but I really just felt the need to share with you the what was on my heart and what I had went through in the hopes that it encourages you and brings you closer to the Lord. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, whatever app you're listening to this on, make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you get our new episodes as soon as they come out without having to remember to go and hunt them up. And if you're a new listener, you might not know, but we are now doing two episodes a week. If you are a longtime listener, high five, I'm so thankful for you, then you're also going to notice that we're doing two episodes a week. We're going to have our longer episodes like this on most Fridays, and then Wednesdays are our shorter where I'm just answering a question type episode. So all of that to say, thank you so much for spending your time with me. Shoot me your questions. I would love to be able to answer it in an episode and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of them. Okay, bye for now. And I can't wait to talk with you again soon. Thank you.